BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, March 29th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back Monroe Anderson for Monroe Wednesdays and also Tiffany Walden, editor-in-chief of The Tribe. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. What to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, so much more. If you like columns from Ben Jarofsky, just head on over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this abortion ruling delay Wednesday, and here's why. All right, so we're going to do the deep dive. We're going to do some political Chicago talk. Don't worry, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, I got uh, Tiffany Walden and Monroe Anderson holding by to uh, take the deep dive and all the Ballas and Johnson, Chicago mayoral election stuff that has just been gripping the city and gripping my brain for like the last three months. Uh, but uh, I just have to do a follow-up from yesterday's show. Terry Cosgrove's on the show. TC, shout out, uh, and one of the leading uh, abortion rights activists in the state of Illinois. We're talking. Uh, about abortion as an issue in the Chicago mayoral race. Personal PAC has endorsed uh, uh, Brandon Johnson. Uh, they do not believe that Paul Vallis will stand tall uh, for um, abortion rights. And we also talked about the, the uh, showdown in Wisconsin where the state Supreme Court seat is at. Uh, oh, my goodness. It's a MAGA candidate versus uh, essentially a liberal Democrat. And abortion rights uh, will be essentially on the ballot there as long as Jer- as well as gerrymandering and the future of Congress is a very we talk so much in Chicago about the mayor's race, but that Supreme Court seat battle in Wisconsin is so pivotal to so much that's going down uh, in this country. But one thing that Terry did, uh, did not uh, say when he was on the show and we talked about after the show. Yes, I do an after the show conversation with my guests. I obsessively talk about politics all day and all night. He said. There is a decision. Right now, we're waiting for a decision on the so-called abortion pill from a federal judge in Texas. And that federal judge about, oh, gosh, two weeks ago said any day now he was going to issue his uh, a ruling on whether he would have an injunction essentially uh, barring the pill. Nobody could have it. I don't care if you're in Texas where uh, it's an anti-abortion MAGA running the state or a liberal Illinois with J.B. Pritzker running the state. Nobody would have access to the pill if he uh, imposes this injunction. Uh, and uh, after the, the, the show, uh, Terry sent me this email. Uh, Do you think the judge is impartial? impartial? Anyone with a single brain cell can figure out how he's going to rule, but he won't announce his decision 
before the April 4th Wisconsin Supreme Court race because the right wingers are scared to death about the public and voter reaction to eliminating this widely supported, extremely safe and effective medication that is taken in the privacy of a woman's home. The right wingers completely underestimated the political backlash they received to overturning Roe last June, and they know the backlash this Texas judge ruling will also be swift and mighty by pro-choice voters across the country. And the last place they want to be felt is in Wisconsin Supreme Court race. The judge is in on the fix, and I bet his ruling will come down after the April 4th voting in the Wisconsin Supreme Court election. He may even do it within an hour of the polls closing on April 4th. And then from the New York Times story, the judge is a Trump appointee who has written critically about Roe v. Wade and who previously worked for a Christian conservative legal organization um, in Texas. So uh, thank you very much, Terry Cosgrove. I think you have a very compelling point there. They learned their lesson, MAGA did. When, uh, when they came out with their ruling on Roe, eviscerating Roe, uh, in the summer leading right up to the November uh, elections. And as a result, the Dems held the Senate, should have taken Congress, but those dimwitted Dems in New York are so bad at drawing a map that they somehow other lost New York, as I say all the time in this show. Chris Welch, if only Chris Welch was running the show in New York with the Democrats, he knows how to draw a map. All right, without further ado, I'm going to shift my attention. By the way, and Terry Cosgrove, one last point. If that ruling came down today, I would love to watch Paul Vallis ducking and dodging on the issue of whether he's going to st stand with the women's right to have those pills or whether he's going to say, well, you know, you know, you got it. I don't know. Fundamentally, I'm fundamentally opposed to abortion. Be interesting how much ducking and dodging and dancing we'd see from Paul Vallis. All right. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guests. It's Wednesday. So Monroe Anderson uh, is with us and also joining us as editor of the uh, tribe, uh, Tiffany Walden. Uh, every now and then Monroe and I let's go, you know what? It's senior citizen day at the Ben Jurassic show. We got to bring a young person on. Uh, and so uh, Tiffany Walden, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, before we take the deep dive on all the great tribe coverage, guys have been on a freaking roll, a roll. For the last month, shout out to the tribe, all the reporters and editors, uh, Monroe. And the, Monroe has uh, offered up a column as well. Uh, I have to relate a conversation we had before we went on the air, because I must get this on the record, uh, Tiffany Wallen. So I went to the doctors this morning. Everything was OK. Thank you. Uh, and by, by chance, I was having a conversation. Monroe's already heard this story twice uh, with the uh the, the clerk who brought me in, you know, they took my information. There were two clerks sitting at their computers. Uh, and this one clerk mentioned that he, uh, he used to live in Los Angeles, but he uh, hated it because he hated driving. All right, Tiffany. So I said, baby boomer that I am, I go, L.A. is a great big freeway. Put 100 down and buy a car in a week, maybe two. They'll make you a star. And then I stood back and smiled, like figuring they go, wow, that's an impressive display of memory, old man. <laughs> Great job. But they gave me that blank look, Tiffany, like I was speaking Polish or something. Like they didn't understand what I was saying. And then I go, well, you, you know that song, don't you? And the two of them are like, eh, 
smiling like, man, where do we get this weirdo? And I go, D.I. Warwick. And they said, we don't know who Dion Warwick is. I went into the doctor's office, the doctor okay. and the nurse. I said, do you know who Dion Warwick is? They didn't know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, There's a real good documentary out on her right now, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think only baby boomers are watching that documentary. So, Tiffany, I must ask you, you're a millennial. You're not of the baby boomer generation. Do you know who Dion Warwick is? Absolutely. And I am shocked, appalled, and disappointed that they did not know who Dion Warwick is. It is a rite of passage <laughs> in Chicago, especially in Chicago as a Black person, to know who Dion Warwick is. If you grew up at all listening to V103, to Herb Kent, to anything, if you had parents at all that cared about music, if you care at all about music, you need to absolutely know who Dionne Warwick is, what she's achieved, who she is as a Black woman in music, and as a pop star, one of the first pop stars that we have, that she's related to Leontine Price, that she's related to Whitney Houston and Sissy Houston. Why don't we know these things? <laughs> wow. Tiffany, that was a deep dive I wasn't expecting. But yes, everything you said is absolutely true. And uh, my explanation, uh, Tiffany Monroe, and I hate to say this, bad parenting, <laughs> bad parenting. OK, these four individuals, all outstanding clerks, doctors and nurses do a great job. They were not raised right. They were listening to Pat Boone. They, <laughs> Pat Boone. <laughs> all right, they, were they were listening to the cover artists instead of the real deal well we were just talking about that there's debatable actually who does the uh, best best version of walk on by is it isaac hayes is it Dion warwick who does the best version of i say a little prayer is it aretha franklin or is it Dion Warwick? we could have a whole discussion on this today but we got to get back to chicago politics ladies and gentlemen let me just add i do blame parenting and i I also blame that we don't have critical race theory in school because if we did, we would also be able to talk about why Dion, why they don't know who Dionne Warwick is because she was, they would, they, she did not have the opportunity to be celebrated in her time. If we, if Paul Vallis is victorious, uh, <laughs> they'll have uh, Dionne Warwick education uh, in Chicago public schools the way they have Rosa Parks education in the Florida public schools. Go, <laughs> they will not be allowed to mention that Dionne Warwick is a black woman. Dionne Warwick was an outstanding singer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Completely erase everything. Completely oh, my goodness. I'm just kidding, Paul Vallis. That was just a joke. Okay, come on. All right. Um, why don't we start with critical race theory, uh, Tiffany? I mean, I, I told you that we we're going to take it down, uh, down through all the tribes, uh, great scoops. And we'll talk about Paul Vallis, uh, the charter school, Paul Vallis. Uh, and we'll also talk about the this is an excellent uh, article in the tribe about black endorsements of uh, Paul Vallis and the historical significance of that. But it was interesting. Critical race theory. Uh, last night's debate. Uh, when hit with a hard question about it, about his comments, which are so bizarre. I mean, I don't know how to interpret the, uh, 
uh, the weirdness. I, I can't even explain how weird it was. The riff Paul Vallis went on in that interview a couple of years ago or a year ago or so with Wire Points, the conservative right wing outfit uh, on critical race theory. But last night when asked about it, he denied that he said it, which is wow. That's <laughs> I can understand he'd be embarrassed by it. But go ahead, Tiffany. You said he denied that he said I didn't see the debate last night. He denied that he said. Well, yeah, he was like, I never said that. You know, it's. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, so, um, so how serious? I'll start with you, Tiffany, and then Monroe. You respond. How serious do you take uh, the response uh, Paul Vallis had to the critical race uh, question that was posed to him uh, on the Wire Points interview? And it's, it's. If you, anybody, we talked about it in the show a lot. You can find it on the internet. Uh, you can hear Paul Vallis explain how, uh, in his humble opinion, if you teach critical race theory, uh, white par- white kids will um, not listen to their parents because they'll rebel against them, and it'll uh, black kids will it'll be like one step another, and they'll end up as criminals somehow or other if they uh, are exposed to the history of race relations in our country. Tiffany, uh, you're taking all this. Uh, well, first, Paul Vallis seems to be doing a lot of backpedaling. Uh, he's on tape talking about being a Republican, and then uh, now all of a sudden he's a Democrat, hasn't been a lifelong Democrat. All his commercials is about him being a lifelong Democrat. Uh, so, you know, at this point, I really don't know, you know, what to even believe. He's on tape having a conversation about critical race theory. How can you deny that you said that? Um, And one of the reasons why critical race theory, even though it's not even something that's gonna be uh, like implemented in lower grades, this is like a college level thing that we're talking about, but um, so much of the things that we have today stand on what black, brown and indigenous people have um, worked and fought hard for um, since you know, we've been on this land. Um, even thinking about Paul Vallis, uh, we have an opinion piece from Elizabeth Ty Breland um, that I'm, um, I'm, I'm so happy that that she wrote something um, and submitted it to us, where she talks about how in the 50s and 60s, the civil rights organizers um, wanted to make that connection between the democratic vision of public education as a public good. And they worked hard to make that a reality for black communities. So even back then, black and uh, black and brown uh, folks who were fighting for civil rights were pushing to desegregate uh, schools and to, to make schools equal. And in Chicago, so many of our schools were under-resourced, overcrowded um, um, on the South and West sides. And so those, those are the same things that we're fighting for today. So to deny critical yeah, race, back, to deny the the yeah, back in the sixties, they had the Willis wagons mm-hmm. so rather than build new schools. They came up with these trailers to put kids in so that, that, um, they, they could keep the schools segregated. Right. Yeah. The Willis wagons, uh, of the early sixties. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I, I take it one step further with um, the critical race theory uh, uh, is uh, the hammer that uh, Republicans use against Democrats to kind of like scare white voters. Uh, but Vallis, if you take a look at what Vallis, uh, the programs he implemented in the 90s, uh, high stakes testing, 
uh, he's a big believer in high stakes testing. And if you listen to those comments, so high stakes tests mean you're given the students are all given standardized tests. All kids are given standardized tests. They're supposed to be uh, barometers of where a kid is in school. So you can work with the student, the teacher, parents can work with the student uh, on weaknesses, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, but uh, under Vallis and Chico and Daly back in the or late 90s and early 0s, they were used as gatekeepers. So if you weren't at a certain level, uh, the kids would be held back. Dallas is very proud of that. He's very proud of like holding back <laughs> thousands of kids. And, like that was a great achievement. Then uh, and Chicago has gone in a different direction, Tiffany. Uh, as a result, because the dropout rate was so high, you start holding kids back. That's like leads to a higher dropout. It's like kids get frustrated. Oh, I'm no good. I School's not for me. I suck. Blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, you, I mean, it's all the research shows that we have a higher dropout. So we relaxed those, uh, the pressure on these tests. They're no longer gatekeepers. Dropout rate falls. Mayors pat themselves on the back. It, now here comes Vallis in that interview where he was uh Ripping critical race theory, saying part of the problem is we don't spend enough time. We spend too much time teaching things like history. You, you know, we should be. A, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I can't help but laugh. It's so depressing. On one level, you got to laugh. Do you follow what I'm saying? This is like instead of teaching history, you're going to cram and learn your math tables. Long and division. It, it's so it's so interesting because it's just like, I mean, we all been kids before and I've been a, a kid in Chicago and um, kids have different strengths. Like I remember taking, um, I forget I forget the name of the, it was like a pre-ACT test that we took in high school and it was supposed to tell you like what your, um, like uh, your, your like what area of study that you would excel in. And, yeah, and yeah. mine obviously was like, you know, history and writing um, it was not math. <laughs> it was not science. And to this day, you know, I'm in a career that reflects that, you know, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a scientist by any means. Um, so, you know, by Paul Vallis's, um judgment, I'm a terrible student, right? Because I can't do math. I can't do science. So I shouldn't even, there shouldn't have been a pathway for me to even succeed. I probably should have been in the military school, honestly, <laughs> because uh, those two subjects aren't a strong suit. So you can't force every kid to be, uh, you know, a, a STEM student or or some kids are good at that. And, and some kids are in environments where, uh, you know, they have the resources to be good at that and to thrive at it. But discrediting students who may have interests in other things and not providing resources and a pathway for them to succeed in those industries is a disservice. Um two kids and it's very targeted to a certain demographic of kids yeah and i'll go one step further monroe you can weigh in on this too uh and i'm speaking uh, maybe this is a generational thing but <laughs> most of the people who the kids who were held back in the late 90s uh were black kids and so it was like a punitive measure sort of against black kids um, many of the white parents that were raising kids at the same time I was would never want this for their children. So like if you went to a private school, if you went to Latin or Parker or 
any of your private schools, the, the lab school, they're not imposing high stakes testing on those kids. And they wouldn't tolerate it. The revolt in this in the public schools of Chicago, what limited revolt there was to this was at Whitney Young High School. I remember back in the early O's, and there was a lot of white kids at Whitney Young who were re- leading the revolt. Um, one of whom uh, is uh, comes on this show, or his, his older brother was part of the revolt, Miles Conflassen. So Monroe, you know this. You're the same age. We were raising kids at the same time. You know, parents like upper class parents resisted this kind of high stakes testing for their kids. You know, what's interesting to me, I went to Indiana University public school from, from Gary to Bloomington in the mid sixties. And their policy at that time was to try and flunk us out as quickly as possible because of public school. So they had to take us, but then they, they, I, in my, I was in advanced class in journalism in my freshman year. And uh, we, when it was time to grade us for our score, there was this Mexican kid and myself who had an average of 64. No, 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 84. And the professor said, well, since this was an advanced class, that um, 80 wouldn't be where the bees were, it'd be 85. And so we got seniors <laughs> in the class. <laughs> uh, we go to 84, right? So, you know, in the meantime, I've since learned that if you go to a, a, an Ivy League school, yeah. they will go through hoops, bend over backwards, <laughs> make sure that you're successful. Yeah. Because if they accepted you, they wanted to show their great judgment in, in accepting you. So they didn't fl- flunk you out unless you, they just absolutely positively had to. No, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. I just want to point out, Paul Vallis, that your boss, the man you love, Richard Daly, that guy struggled with tests. In fact, Del Marie was on the show last time. She still was questioning whether Daly took his own law bar, <laughs> the law bar. Yeah, Cecil Partee. Cecil Partee. Cecil Partee took it for her. Hey, Ballas, do an investigation of that, all right? Um, all right, Tiffany, uh, let's go back. You mentioned military schools, uh, so that's a natural transition uh, to one of the great tribe scoops. I think it was Jim Daly wrote the story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the story about uh, Paul Vallis's record with charter schools and military school. Man loves military schools. Go ahead. I'll try to do it justice because Jim just really, just really did some excellent reporting and told a full, just historical, painted a picture of who Paul Vallis is. Um, essentially, you know, the election, so much of it is a conversation about crime. Jim Daly really takes you through the conversation around uh, that the direction of CPS and what the future of the public schools um, in Chicago would be, and that that's in jeopardy with this particular election, where you have someone like Paul Vallis who um, is definitely behind, um, you know, school choice and um, expanding open enrollment and charter schools, and he's even right now the CEO of a new military school that's opening in. Um, in Arizona, not Arizona, I'm sorry, in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, one of the things that kind of triggered this story for us was um, 
earlier in the campaign trail, Paul Vallis uh, was at the Women's Take Action Alliance mayoral forum on March 11th. And both candidates were asked about how they would recruit more women to CPD. And Paul Vallis specifically started touting the ROTC program. And, you know, he said the way that you recruit in a diversified way is really simple. We have 10,000 young people in the ROTC programs. I opened up seven military and first responder high schools in Chicago. Uh, we can provide a direct pipeline from the ROTC programs to CPD. Um, and Chalkbeat had did an investigation in 2021 that showed that uh, nine of the predominantly black and brown um, schools had automatically enrolled students into JRTC programs without their knowledge or consent. Um, so it's another form of this, you know, school to, you know, um, I don't know, criminal justice type of pipeline um, where, you know, without students' consent, it's just automatically kind of brainwashing you to join the police department or to be some sort of law enforcement figure. And when you look at these schools and how they've been implemented in other cities like um, like Louisiana, I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm sorry, like New Orleans or Philadelphia, um, so much of it is oppressive to students. Like in the story, one of the teachers was talking about how the students had to walk in a foul line within, in, a, in a style that they called a chicken wing where they had to walk with their hands behind their backs. Um, another teacher described that, you know, if a student didn't um, excel at the charter school, they wouldn't necessarily like expel them, but they would just tell them they had to go home. And then you don't know what happened to that student after that. They're no longer a student at the charter school, but they're just kind of in the in the abyss, like you don't know where they are and there's no tracking system for them. Um, so, so much of this is uh, important for Chicago voters to take a look at and to understand that this is the type of school system that Paul Vallis is trying to create here in Chicago and has been, um, according to his record, like already putting steps in place to um, implement this type of system in Chicago. And where does that leave black and brown kids who may not um, fit within this uh, super strict conservative system that he's trying to put together? Low expectations. That's that's what it is. It's like, well, these kids are not that smart. They're not that talented except in basketball or something. Mm -hmm. And so we will steer them to where they can accomplish something. Mm hmm. Monroe, were you ever tempted ever uh, to um, join the military when you were a kid and Gary and thinking about your future? He, you know, OK, my father had been in the military and was you know proud of his service. He didn't encourage it. But when I was a freshman at Indiana University, I took ROTC. And I took it because I was thinking, well, um, I should see what it's like. I hated it. <laughs> I, I, I did my freshman year. I, 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 you had to wear a uniform, uh, two, one or two days, whatever the class was. Mm -hmm. I, I had to wear this uniform. I had this this um, officer, you know, because students, just upperclassmen were officers, and this guy was about five foot two and he was uh, looking up at me and giving me these orders 
and they didn't feel right to me. You know, I thought it was more than just, um, it was, I, I, I got a racist tone somewhere. And I didn't even, in my, because I'd grown up in Gary in a segregated neighborhood, I didn't know much about integration whatsoever. You know, I, this is my first time getting to know white people. And, and, and then I, I had a debate class while in ROTC. And we were debating the uh, American way of government, the Constitution versus uh, the um, Russian. Uh, God, I forgot what it's called now. The little red, uh, the the Russian Constitution. Uh, I forgot what it's, it's called. Maybe it was the China. But anyway, it was communist. Mm-hmm. And I read both. Um, you know. I read both of them in preparation for this debate, and I got assigned the communist position <laughs> against this white boy who was like pre-MAGA. <laughs> but the thing is, because I had, I read it, and on paper, both of them were equal. You know, they're all highfalutin or what have you. I, I, I kicked his butt in the debate. And so my professor, who was a career Air Force man. I was in the Air Force ROTC. He looked at me like I was a communist. <laughs> and that's when I decided, well, military life definitely is not for me. Yeah. I, uh, I think that uh, this is a popular issue for Vallis in this election. And I really want to hear your thoughts on this, Tiffany. I go to Bulls games. I go to uh, football games, uh, and there's always that moment where uh, a serviceman or servicewoman uh, stands before the crowd uh, and they announce whatever their uh, background is, wherever they served, Uh, and invariably there's an ovation, often a standing ovation. Let's honor them for their service. And, you know, most people in this country do not serve in the military. We we did away with the draft. Yeah, only two or three percent. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if it's guilt or whatever, but there's tremendous respect accorded to people who have served when we get to these games, uh, football games, basketball games, etc. cetera. Uh, and I remember in the Vallis years with the ROTC programs and then Artie Duncan as well, when he turned Sen High School, he put the military academy in Sen High School on the north side, and north side parents were up in arms, and he put it in there anyway. And he goes, this may not be for you, but I believe in military service for some kids. Some kids love it, and we have to respect them. They turned into this patriotism thing. So my guess is uh, there's going to be a strong contingent of people who go, yeah, I like Valas, put those kids in the military, give them some discipline, uh, and uh, they won't be stealing cars. You know, somehow or other, that would be the correlation. Um, and uh, so that it may pick them up, folks. Your thoughts about this, Tiffany? It's a really nuanced conversation. Um, I mean, I have service members in my family. My grandfather served in the Korean War in the Navy. Um, and, you know, I have a cousin who's in the Air Force. He's getting out right now. I have an uncle who's in the Air Force. Um, and so uh, the sentiment that you send people off to the military to get some discipline. We need to unpack how harmful that is uh, to black kids. 
Um, my cousin, for example, only went to the Air Force because um, you know, he wasn't really good at, at school. He liked to draw. He, he wanted to be an animator. In fact, um, that was his dream. And I, I fought really, really hard to help him get into one of the best like art schools down in, in Georgia. Um, and his dad would not let him go to the art school because in his mind, he needed discipline. And in his mind, he was indoctrinated to think that way. In his mind, it was like, you know, if you're not going to have what is deemed um, a satisfactory job, drawing is not a satisfactory job. Anything creative is not a satisfactory job. You need to go into the military. That's all, that's all you can do. I'm not paying for you to go to art school. And, uh, you know, we're all in our 30s now, and I still see today the impact of that decision that his dad made on him and him having to try to navigate, still having an urge to be a creative because that's in him. He still draws to this day. But, you know, his everything about his social skills, everything about um the indoctrination of what of what the military teaches you, he's grappling with that and trying to shed that so that he can come back into um, civilian life and be whole. He's not whole right now. Um, is, he, is he in the military right now? He is. He is in the military right now, and he's um, he's he's he decided to leave, so he's leaving um, in a couple of months. But he's been in there since right out of high school. Like, so he's been in there for about 10 plus years. Um, and it was a very big decision for him to, to decide to leave the military because he was just like, you know, I don't know who I am without this now. When he used to know who he was, he used yeah. to know what his passions were. And now, you know, there's a lot of therapy and stuff that needs to happen to help him be whole again. So I think, you know, we do have respect for our elders who were in the military for a lot of them. They didn't have a choice for a lot of them. Um, you know, it was, it was also, maybe they did have a choice and that was what they wanted to do for a lot of them. It was a way to be upwardly mobile economically and um, socially, but for a lot of people younger, like my generation, even Gen X generation, this idea that you sending people off to the military so that they can find discipline, Right. We need to do away with that. And I think with Paul Vallis and these militarized schools, these JROTC programs, a lot of kids get into these programs because it's at school. You might need the credit. Some of these schools require you to have that credit. I have a cousin who went to um, a school who went to Proviso West that took uh, the Navy RO, JROTC program. And when he was in the Navy JROTC program, he thought he wanted to go to the military, too. And that's not him at all <laughs> you know he was just like maybe i could do that because what else am i gonna do so i don't know what they're teaching people because i didn't they, they we didn't have jrotc at my school but people do come out of these programs thinking that 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 is the the thing that they can do i'm not academic i'm not really great at school but i can go directly from jrotc into whether that's the navy the air force or the army depending on which program is at your school and um that needs to be unpacked, what that does emotionally to a young kid. Well, being, being in the arts is a very middle class and above thing. It, mm -hmm. uh, and 
for a lot of us who are working class or worse, then uh, we don't realize that that's a route because it doesn't automatically make money. Yep. But it, but but it but it is a it can be quite satisfactory. My my younger son Kyle uh, is an artist. And he's he he was drawing when he was three, and on up. But um, when he was in high school, he was depressed for different reasons, and when he turned twenty one. And he, had, he, his mother Joyce found this drawing of um, Samuel Jackson that was incredible. It looked like a photograph. It was so well done. And he hadn't had any training. And, uh, so when he was 21, still depressed and not knowing what he was going to do, I, I, I pulled him aside and I told him, I said, you're an artist. I said, um, this is what you can do. This is how you should, you should think of yourself. Um, two years from now, you can change your mind and be something else, whatever you want to be. But right now, this is what you do. This is what you love to do. And so this is what you should do. And today, he's a, a, a relatively successful artist. He's, he's, he's illustrated one computer game, and he's working on another now. And he's yes. children's books. Uh, you know, he is an artist. Yeah. But, um, but again, it's a middle-class pursuit. And for Vallis to be trying to steer kids into uh, the military because they don't, they haven't realized what they want to do or that they can do other things, is comparable to um, um, the right wingers complaining if parents um, let their kids decide on their their sexual preference at a young age. You know, it's a uh, people are who they are and, and sometimes they know it very early sometimes they, they have to work at it for a little while and you have to think about like you know the opportunities that you have as a child because you know comparing a, a black child growing up in in Inglewood or in North Lawndale to a, a child a white child that you know may be growing up in Winneka you know what access do you have to different things to figure out what you want to do. Right. You know, right. like I I have I went to Providence St. Mill, which is a private school. Um, but even at that school, you know, there wasn't a wealth of resources for us to try to, you know, figure out if we wanted to do, you know, different things. But I did have a teacher that realized that I was a writer. And like took me under her wing and was like, this is what we're going to work on. This is what we're going to do. And she pushed me toward different programs to help me understand what journalism was, because I didn't know what journalism was. Um, you know, there's kids that, you know, if you're into different instruments or played it like rugby or different sports and stuff, we don't have rugby in the hood. <laughs> you have like, uh, what is it, lacrosse? I didn't know. I had never heard of lacrosse until I went to Northwestern. And I only found out because they was giving away Chick-fil-A. No, no, they were, giving, <laughs> they were giving away Chipotle. I'm sorry. Whenever they would win a game, they would give out Chipotle. So I was like, Chipotle, let me go to this. Like, let me figure out what this is. You know, but like, you, you can't figure out what it is that you want to do unless you have access to it. It was kids at, at in my dorm that were like rowing. They were like in the rowing, on the rowing team. And I'm like, what is the rowing team? You know, like, if you, <laughs> you can't, you can't even imagine 
what you may be good at unless you have that access to try different things. And, and in the hood, like every day, it's just like I'm trying to survive. I can't get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to like Michigan and do a rowing club. Like I'm literally just trying to trying to make it. So it's uh it's manipulative to put these programs, these military programs in schools where you know kids don't have access to different things and resources, nor do they have uh, the mental capacity sometimes to even think about what they want to do when they grow up because they're just trying to survive every single day and then like push them towards the military. And in many, too many instances, um, the adults are telling them they're not worth anything. Yep. You know, they're devaluing them, telling them because because they haven't figured out who they are or what their talent is. And and um, so they tell them, like, you know, you're worthless, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, this, like, I, I just don't know if voters are going to make their decision based on the things we're saying. I agree with absolutely everything Tiffany and Monroe said. Uh, that story you told Monroe about your son, uh, was just a great story. I know the kid. He's a wonderful, just a great kid. And the, mo- the mother, ladies and gentlemen, is a great artist. Okay, so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, Joyce Owens is a great artist. Uh, and I feel like I've been preaching this for 40 years of writing in the city of Chicago. And then I- I'm like, I confront voters to go, you know, we gotta, you gotta teach them discipline. We gotta send them in the military. And I'm like, I'll tell you what, let's cut a deal. Let's make sure we have an art teacher and a drama teacher in every single high school in the city of Chicago for every military school we open. Can right. we cut that deal? No, they never cut that deal. The teachers went on strike, uh, Tiffany Monroe, for more nurses and social workers and counselors in 2019. And the powers that be, uh, in the city of Chicago, told them to shut up and take the raise and go back to the classroom. And now here we are. Chicago's like so eager to like this guy, Paul Vallis, who wants to bring back high stakes testing, minimize the importance of history, minimize the importance of history, diminishes critical race theory or any discussion of racism and discrimination in this country as some kind of weird brainwashing that's going to turn black kids into criminals. This is what he said, ladies and gentlemen. This is what the man you want to vote for said. And I'm listening to you guys. What you're saying is so true. (laughs) But it's like Chicago's ready to go, put him in the military. Otherwise, they'll steal our cars. Go ahead, Monroe. Well, in in the piece that I, I, the latest opinion piece I've written for the tribe, uh, I call Vallis out. Uh, the man is a MAGA man light. <laughs> he's, he's not a hardcore MAGA man. I mean, he's not like he, he he's not like DeSantis or Abbott, where he's just really off the charts with the crazy stuff. But he is flirting with MAGA ideas and practicing MAGA ideas. I mean, when you talk about the education program. You know, and the thing that's interesting is that Dallas is no expert in education. I mean, he BSed his way through it, you know, and and, uh, and and he does good PR, but that's not his background. Yeah. 
Uh, and and even in being in education, he has bas- been basically a bean counter. Mm. But he didn't count the beans very well because all <laughs> the, the school systems he was in uh, were, had a large deficit after he got fired from them or ran out after them. Yeah. And, uh, Richie Daly was not happy with him um, when they parted ways at all. And yeah. Philadelphia school system wasn't happy with him when he parted ways there. And New Orleans wasn't happy with him. But he keeps he keeps what he's done is he he's built a reputation for himself that he lives off of and he hoodwinks people with. And, and, and he, you know, and, and he's come up with some ideas, some radical, some not bad, but oh but um, if you were to grade him, he'd get a C. That's that's a generous grade, Monroe. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so that's social promotion, uh, in my humble opinion. Uh, so, all right. Be, uh, uh, we'll close it down, the the, uh, the tribe segment of our show. Uh, and shout out to the tribe, Tiffany Walden's publication, outstanding coverage, in my humble opinion, of the uh, mayoral race, one article after another. Uh, and uh, Tonya Hill, shout out of shout outs. Uh, so let me just start with this. Uh, Senator Durbin came out for Paul Vallis. And I have to admit that caught me off guard. Yeah, me too. I really caught me off guard. Monroe. I was like, wow, why are you usually generally thought as a liberal Democrat? Uh, don't live in Chicago. This is not your base. If you're not going to endorse the candidate endorsed by the Chicago Teachers Union, which supports Democrats every single time. Okay, so whenever Democrats need to vote to get elected, they turn to the Chicago Teachers Union or SEIU. Except the thing is, wait, let me finish. They don't turn to the Fraternal Order of Police. Yeah. If Democrats were dependent on the Fraternal Order of Police to get elected in any state, in any city, are nationwide, they would lose. Right. So Durbin, who belongs to the party that always looks to the teachers for support when it's a teacher union candidate up, goes, no, I'm going to go with Paul Vallis for the Fraternal Order of Police. And that caught me off guard, Tiffany Monroe. It caught me off guard. And my theory is that Jesse White's endorsement of Paul Vallis Open the gates. Yeah. Open the gates for Richard Durbin to stab the teachers union in the back. And you know what? Thanks a lot for nothing, Durbin. Because I know every single Democrat is going to be looking for the teachers union support. They're going to look for SEIU SEIU support because all these unions, other unions who've supported Vallis are nowhere to be found when push comes to shove, Tiffany Wallen, and he in Michigan races, Wisconsin races, Philadelphia races, Pennsylvania races, Florida, down the line. You can't find the Fraternal Order of Police on the front lines for Democrats. They weren't there for Raphael Warnock down in Atlanta. Oh, everybody's talking. Oh, my goodness. The Democrats elected Raphael Warnock. They always say, thank you, black women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, you, what unions do you think the black women are in, Richard okay. Durbin? Okay, I can remember when police unions and forces didn't like 
guns. The, really? the idea of everybody, they, they wanted gun control because if everybody can have a gun, then they can shoot cops. And I mm. can remember when they were against these automatic weapons or what have you, but the MAGA movement or the the right wing, the, the NRA movements, some movement has pushed them into that other camp where uh, now they don't like guns, but they don't dislike them either. You know, they're neutral at the best. Yeah, no, they're not. Let me let me ask y'all before I before I check out Pritzker. What does it mean that Pritzker isn't saying anything? Well, uh, I'll definitely take the deep dive in that. But before I do, I want to get your response to what I said. Uh, the because the, it was the tribe that wrote the story, sort of like dissecting, uh, deconstructing. Uh, and I urge everybody to read the, the story. Uh, Black politicians endorsement of Vallis. So why don't you sort of summarize uh, the issues raised in that article, Tiffany, uh, and then address what I said that um, they're pivotal endorsements because, in my humble opinion, that led to Durbin feeling free to endorse Vallis. Go ahead. I felt the same way about the Jesse White endorsement um, because he's so beloved in the black community with the, the Tumblr's program and he's he's been in office since I can remember since I was born. Um, you know, he has that picture at the Secretary of State or at the, all the DMVs, and you think that that's him until you realize, you know, he's a much older, you know, man. <laughs> so he's that's, just, that's him thirty years ago. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's just such a, a fixture in our community that I feel that you know it was it was a good strategy on Vallis's part to get Jesse White to endorse him. Because then, you know, any, you know, white politician who comes in behind Jesse White and endorses him, they won't look like a racist. You know, you, it's hard for you to, to to critique them as being a racist, like we're critiquing Vallis in some instances, when you have a black man who's beloved in the black community endorsing him as well. So it just gave them the the pat on the back to say, okay, like, you know, I can endorse him too. And then you got, you know, all the other, uh, the the Willie Wilsons, you got uh, Jamal Green, which we we have a whole TikTok series episode about Jamal Green, if y'all haven't checked it out. Um, all of these people, especially a Jamal Green, who used to be a progressive, a Sophia King, all the women, Sophia King, who is the quote unquote chair of the progressive caucus, like these people, um, are supporting Paul Vallis as well because it's an idea about this, the status quo and what how can we be a part of maintaining the status quo and maintaining business as usual. And in that story that Tonya Hill so um, excellently reported on, um, experts talk about that as, you know, Vallis has suddenly become the, the savior of Chicago um, and not turning... Um, you know, his history, as Monroe mentioned, of, of failures across the country, not seeing that as something that needs to be studied and critiqued. Um, so it has to be a much, you know, bigger game here of, you know, how can we maintain uh, the status quo of Chicago where you have the opponent, which is Brandon Johnson, who is connecting the dots of if I if I solve the root causes of crime, which is what grassroots organizers have been pushing for if we solve the 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 the, the roots of uh crime and, and then at that point we might solve 
the gun violence issue here. We might we might reduce violence. We might uh, reduce the number of people in poverty. People will have an equal standing in this city, but no one wants to do that. People are profiting off of the gun violence. People don't want to say that, but they're profiting off of it. Media is profiting off of it. Um, Ken Griffin is profiting off of it. All of these people are making money off of X amount of black people have been killed in Chicago on this day. Um, so yeah, people don't want to let go of what what's always been, and Paul Vallis represents that. Whereas you know, Brandon Johnson represents change and hope and 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 uh, trying to to solve these root issues of violence and crime. Well, and the the other thing is Vallis has pretended to be a liberal. That uh, I mean, you know, up until over the past few years, I mean, he's 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 always presented himself as a, a liberal or at least left the center. Maybe not a liberal liberal, but at least left left the center. So, a, a, a Durbin is is um, comfortable with him because he's known him and he's always sort of presented himself as as a liberal, okay. uh, and. He he may be who knows we don't I don't know what Dirk, what Dallas is, uh, but I know that he's been uh, acting like he wants to go MAGA and be MAGA in the last three or four years at least. Well, the <laughs> um, the the and best analysis I've heard on this I'm going to shout out to Keena Collins will be on the show tomorrow. Uh, Durbin doesn't want anything to do with the defunder label. Right. And uh, Brandon Johnson has been uh, linked to the defund the police label. And national Democrats are petrified of that. Uh, and so. But why? Just, why are they petrified of it? Because the defunder label is not solely about the police. It is about addressing the root causes of crime. People are saying reallocate this ballooning CPD budget, this $1.9 billion CPD budget, which if we have that much money going towards policing, this should be the safest city in the world. <laughs> the safest city in the world, yet the clearance rates on, on crimes committed is abysmal. So reallocating money to addressing mental health problems, to addressing poverty, to addressing homelessness, to addressing um, um, the wealth gap between black and white Chicagoans in the city, people in, in Garfield Park making $25,000 a year, people in the Gold Coast making upwards $100,000, $300,000 a year. Figure that out and our problems will start to diminish. So why is it that everybody is afraid? of what the actual conversation of defund is. I would love to hear your answer to that question. Mine? Yes. No one, everybody's profiting off of, <laughs> off of crime, and Democrats included. Um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were two people that my generation really, really were rooting for, really, really wanted to see them um, get to the next level um, and be president, they were championing, for example, getting rid of um, student loan debt. Everybody should want that, right? 
you would think everybody would be like, oh yeah, let's get rid of student loan debt. Why is it that that's such a controversial conversation and so many people are against that? And you get the you get the Democrats that's behind Biden come in and say, oh, we'll do that, but then get in office and it's like, actually, <laughs> like what if I, I never said that or I'll do a light version of that, yeah. you know, why is it that the people that are against the conversations that that are about prevention on all levels, whether that's crime prevention, poverty prevention, whatever the case may be, people that are against that, what are they really, really against? And it's this idea that if if black people had an equal footing in this country, we would be successful and who, you, people would not be able to profit off of our poverty and off of our uh, lack of resources. Even a lot of the people who are, uh, uh, are working to change things are uh, basically poverty pimps. Yeah, they're 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 making money off of them, off of the poor, also, and, and, and under the guise of well, we're going to improve things for them. Yeah. We're working over time to improve things for them. No, I, uh, uh, oh, this we could have this whole a whole show on why, in my humble opinion, white people are afraid of a competitive even field with black people. That's a whole show. And we don't have time for that because Tiffany's got to go back and edit more of those great tribe articles. But the, I would start with Denzel Washington not winning the Oscar for Fences. That would be my number one. I still haven't got over that. Angela Bassett, Angela Bassett not winning an Oscar for What's Love Got to Do With It. Well, okay, yeah, but Denzel, America's greatest movie star in a play and well movie based on a play written by America's greatest dramatist does not win the Oscar. They give it to, I forget the dude's name for Manchester. I still haven't got over that. Okay. Um, <laughs> love's got to do with this a whole other story. Uh, so I'm going to hold on that. I'll just address you asked a question about JB. I think he's afraid of the defender label as well. And that's why he stayed. That's my point. I, I don't know that, but that's my guess. Everybody's running from that label, Tiffany. Because they, you know, and it's semantics. Because if they had just gone with reform, they, um, it, it, you wouldn't get quite the backlash. You there have, would be a backlash. Uh, oh, my goodness. I understand what you're saying, that the, yeah. the, the, the fun is an easy backlash, makes it easier. Right. But I just saw it politically, and this started off with uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Started off with her, Arnie Duncan, of all people, raised some issues, which, by the way, he's completely abandoned by endorsing ballots. But he raised issues. Maybe we should rethink policing in the city of Chicago. Now he's endorsing the guy who wants to put a cop on every block. Uh, so, but for that moment in time, Tiffany, Arnie Duncan was like, maybe we should rethink. Uh, and then she go, and he was using this, Monroe, he was talking about running for mayor, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot threw that elbow. And she said, oh, he's a, he sounds like a defunder. And the next thing you know, Artie doesn't run. And everybody's calling everybody else a defunder. You're a defunder. And that's, I think, the game. And it's the word that's, that, that was a problem. Uh, Clyburn, when, it, when they first did it, Clyburn says, he, he waved her flag and said, big mistake. You can't do this because I know what these people are going to yeah, do. 
I've, I've been fighting these guys since I was a teenager. So I know how they're going to do this. Uh, all right. So Tiffany's got to go. Tiffany, any last words you want to leave us with? Uh, any promotion of the tribe? Anything? The floor is yours. Yeah. Um, you know, keep reading the tribe. It's the tribe with two eyes dot com. Um, we have a few more election stories coming out. We have an excellent uh, piece from Monroe that is coming out. So uh, or may be out by the time you listen to this. Um, so please just continue to read and educate yourselves and just vote. Please, please vote. Please take somebody to vote. Please get a van and take the whole block to vote. So just right. vote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you, you vote and bring somebody with you. To vote. Yeah, by, the, by the way, I need to notice, uh, I remember Lori Lightfoot uh, at some point was uh, said she was going to uh, uh, give interviews with black reporters uh, first. <laughs> Okay, I remember her saying that. I'm not making this up, Tiffany, because she believed and using whatever she could to help promote the careers of black journalism. We Monroe and I, we applauded that on there. Good job, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Hooray. Uh, I'm just wondering, any uh, closeout interviews from Mayor Lori Lightfoot for a black owned uh, and run uh, newspaper called The Tribe. Just curious. Did she has she given out her last interview with you guys as she walks out of office? I have a whole other perspective to her giving interviews to black and brown journalists, but that's for another day. Um, but no, we have not. We did reach out um, when everybody got on Twitter and started saying that they've asked and she hasn't responded. I sent the email asking um, and I haven't gotten a response at all. It wasn't even like a, oh, hey, like we're not interviewing with people like there's just radio silence. So I think CityCast has been trying to get interviews. Uh, there's radio silence. We've also tried to get interviews with Paul Vallis. We we wanted to interview Vallis and Brandon Johnson for the runoff. We only heard back from Brandon Johnson. We did not hear back from Paul Vallis. Complete radio silence. So, um, yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. Get ready for that radio silence if he prevails, because I lived through those daily years. And the daily strategy, if they don't like what you write, they just ignore you. Uh, so... Um, it just, I guess it means you're doing your job. All right, Tiffany, I know you got a lot to do. And Monroe and I are going to switch to Trump, Trump, Trump to close it down. So thank you so much, Tiffany, for coming on the yeah. show. Thank you all for having me. Good to see you, Monroe. Okay, yeah, same here. And, and, and hopefully she'll be back then. All right, she'll be back. She'll be back. <laughs> she, she likes being the young person in the room with the old geezers. I, do. I, do. <laughs> old I, out, huh? I learn a lot. I learn a lot every time. <laughs> Take care, Tiffany. Uh, all right, Monroe, let's talk a little Trump. And uh, I know uh, I urge everybody to check out the, the Jim Coogan uh, interview that dropped this weekend. We did the deep dive on Trump's legal troubles in New York. Fascinating job by ace attorney uh, Jim Coogan and breaking it down. Uh, the indictment still hasn't come. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder. Alvin Braggs is getting a little nervous uh, about indicting Trump. Uh, and um, because take, take, you, you got you, you, you got it, you can take it to the bank. Trump will be indicted <laughs> at least once, possibly right. three times, <laughs> but definitely once. Uh, and he will probably be the Republican nominee while under indictment. Uh, so right. all right, I um, I don't know if this uh, this, this uh, tape or this recording will work. Uh, I sent it to Chris Visa uh, Instagram. And uh, so, Chris, does the, the recording work yep. uh, that we have? Yeah, oh, it does work. Okay, so this is from The Daily Show. 
and uh, John Leguizamo is the um, host. I think he's hilarious the way he breaks this down. But this is an excerpt of Donald Trump's uh, speech in uh, the name of the town is Waco, but it was a wacko speech. Uh, MAGA, this is your guy. Okay, MAGA, this is your guy. And by the way, Chicago uh, voters, uh, you know, you're you're kind of leaning in that MAGA direction in this mayoral race. Just say a MAGA light uh, as Monroe. So it's kind of like like a this is kind of Lincoln Park's guy these days because I think Lincoln Park went fifty five percent for uh, Paul Vallis in the first round. They're probably going seventy five percent. So Chris, why don't you play uh, this recording in the Monroe? Uh, you get to riff. Uh, on Donald Trump. Take it away, Chris. Let's kick things off with Donald Trump. That's right. The man's so bad at sex, he pays people not to talk about it. Yep. We're still all waiting for the cops to arrest him for lying about his affair with a porn star, but until then, he's continuing his presidential campaign and staying focused on the important issues, like lying about his affair with a porn star. Former President Trump used his first official campaign rally in Waco, Texas, to denounce the legal threats against him. People see it's bullshit, and they go and they say... Unfair. The district attorney of New York, under the auspices and direction of the Department of Injustice in Washington, D.C., was investigating me for something that is not a crime, not a misdemeanor, not an affair. I never liked horse face. I never liked I never, it's just not. That's a terrible thing. That wouldn't be the one. There is no one. We have a great first lady. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Nice save, bro. Mm. You could actually see his brain try to turn the car around and his mouth was driving. I didn't have an affair, and i am never had an affair, and I'm actually, I actually never had sex. Did you know that? I'm, I'm a virgin, and the best and biggest virgin ever. <laughs> By the way, I do the worst Trump impersonation. <laughs> I suck at doing Trump. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much, Chris. Great job, as always. Uh, Monroe, it's hilarious on many fronts. Sometimes you just have to laugh uh, at Donald Trump. But I thought the same thing uh, that Leguizimo thought. Um, you know, Trump, his traditional response when accused of assault, uh, rape, uh, etc., is to say, uh, she's not my type, which sort of suggests that if she were his type, uh, he would have raped her. And uh, so in this particular moment, he went right back to that. Uh, she would, uh, she's not the one. Uh, and then he realized, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. I am a married man, you know. Well, who, who, what, I forget her name. The woman that's, that's, um, has him up for rape in New York. The trial. Eugene Carroll. Eugene yeah. Carroll. She she wasn't his type either. He said, and then they ran a photograph where you couldn't tell in that time period you couldn't tell her from his wife Marlene Marla Maples. They looked they looked like twins, and um, you know. So I mean, he's just. He's such a liar. Bill Maher did a piece where he said that, a comedy skit where he said, 
Um, Trump is the only guy he knows that paid a porn star to keep her mouth shut. <laughs> uh, these jokes write themselves. Right. Um, so the issue, of course, in this particular instance is the money he paid her through a Michael Cohen. And none of this, by the way, uh, I mean, there's no contesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cohen paid Stormy Daniels, uh, well, I forget how many, 60000 I forget what it was, 130 I can't remember at the moment, 130 uh, It was several payments. Uh, and then Trump paid Cohen. So Cohen will testify that that was hush money that he was supposed to pay to keep Stormy Daniels quiet. And then I guess Trump, he's going to have to testify uh, if this comes to trial that what it was legal services that he was paying Cohen and hope that a New York jury believes him. This is not a jury in Alabama, ladies and gentlemen, this is a jury in New York city. Uh, well, the defense that his current lawyer, Trump's current lawyer is using is that, uh, Cohen did this on his own. Trump didn't even know about it. He just, he just did it because he gave her the money because he, he wanted to impress Trump uh, by doing him a favor. Yeah. So I know that, uh, you know, MAGA voters in Lincoln Park might believe that, or MAGA voters uh, in the Gold Coast might believe that, uh, or MAGA voters uh, on the Northwest and Southwest side might believe that. But, you know, uh, like rational people, Monroe, uh, who are not MAGA voters, uh, Will they fall for that? No, 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 no. no. Now, even the MAGA voters in Lincoln Park uh, won't fall for it. They'll say they fall for it, but they're smarter than that. But, you know, I mean, if, if, if you stop and think about it, his defenses are so lightweight. So what they're doing now is uh, the right wing. One of the things they're doing is saying, well, um, it's no big deal. You know, so he 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 gave a little money. You know, he gave a little money. He's a billionaire, so $130,000 is nothing to him. And he did it because he loves his wife so much yeah. that he, 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 didn't want, he didn't want her to hurt her feelings or, or, or get her upset. But it has nothing to do with it. it was less than two weeks before the election. And he uh, he was still trying to recover from the, I grab him by the pussy every chance I get. <laughs> yeah, that uh, he loves the uh, his wife so much. Uh, it's going to be a hard uh, stand to hold to uh, when you have Trump going around like he was in, uh, uh, in Waco saying, she's not the one. She's not the one. Right. I have a worse imitation uh, than Trump, too. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I don't see, uh, 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 people buying this, uh, at all. Uh, and so Monroe, what's, what's your latest prediction as to when this indictment, uh, will come down? Uh, it has not come down yet. Uh, let me look and see, hold on. It could, nope, has not broken yet. Um, so. And then, you know, well, first of all, this actually, this is a weak indictment uh, because although Cohen already did time for the crime 
Uh, what they're saying is that they have to prove with Trump that a crime was in, uh, committed to move it up to a felony because right now it's a misdemeanor what he did and you and if, if they hit him with a misdemeanor then the republicans are really going to do the witch hunt uh, chant on that so it has to be a felony and in order for them to do it it's a little complicated but it's probably going to happen mm. but his greater danger his his for real danger is in georgia and in Mar-a-Lago with the documents. Yeah. And um, those two things are, are going to nail him to the cross. Yeah. Well, I, uh, uh, the rest of, we're, we're con- uh, concentrating on sort of the uh, so bizarre, it's funny uh, aspects of the Trump rally. But there was a lot of parts to it that were, uh, for me anyway, kind of scary. Uh, and just... Uh, now he's jumped the shark. I mean, yeah. he really. I mean, he he has gone so ugly and so anti-American and so vindictive. I mean, all all the things that are not going to work for him in a general election. He can he can right as things stand right now. He can win the primary and be under indictment at the same time. But when it gets to the general election. It's um, going to be Republican blood all over the place from coast to coast in these states because of what he's doing and, and um, how he's doing. So, Monroe, uh, we're uh, out of time. Uh, the next time you come on this show, next Wednesday, it will be the day after Election Day. Yes. Uh, so let's get your uh, final prediction. Uh, so at this time next week, Will the mayor-elect be Brandon Johnson, Paul Vallis, or will it be too close to call? Monroe Anderson, Monroe Anderson, your answer. Too close to call. Wow. I, I, um, I think, but I, I don't think, and you know how much I love going out on limbs. But I think I'm going to stay closer to the trunk <laughs> on this one. Uh, but I, I have this feeling yeah. that Johnson has a momentum in his favor and that he will squeak by but that it all depends on turnout yeah. if if the teachers union um, does a good job and i think they will because um they are voting for something whereas with the um Dallas people basically what they're voting for is um that we put more black men in Cook County jail, but other than that, they don't care about it. And, and the taxes, of course, that ballots is supposedly not going to to um, raise. By the way, folks, if there's anyone out there who actually believes that's so, you are seriously, you are really in a state of denial. <laughs> Everybody is ripping Brandon Johnson for his alternative tax plans. That's across the board criticism he's getting. The reality is there are so many financial obligations that we face as a city, and we're adding to those because, well, in the case of Paul Vallis, he's uh, promising to uh, hire more police officers. So that's fine. If the city of Chicago wants to hire more police officers, that's where the voters want to go. That's uh, what Vallis should do. He should, if he's elected, that that's why he got elected. 
You think they're free? You think it's free? <laughs> I, you don't. Right. There's oh. other pension obligations. You hear those? Your taxes are going up, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, and Chicago me, are so clueless. Like, oh, he said right. it's gonna okay. hire more cops and lower taxes, Ben. Okay, Ben. Let me let me do this. Let me let me point this out before we go. Yeah. That your favorite mayor, Richie, <laughs> is responsible for this mess we're now in. When, yeah, when he first started doing it, yes, I pointed out that he was going. <laughs> The geese that laid the golden eggs. Yeah. He sold off parking. He sold off parking garages. Mm. Uh, he he uh, skyway. Don't forget the that skyway. Right, the skyway. Yeah. All all these streams of revenue that yeah. uh, Vallis R. Johnson is going to need now or would would would, would be quite useful to them. Yeah. They're gone. Yeah, they're gone, man. They're gone. Because all right. Um, selling them off. Now, uh, did you vote for Daly uh, in the '90s, Monroe? Just no. like- <laughs> I've never voted for a Daly in my life, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> Uh, I must confess, I voted for Daly once. I've, I, I just must confess, uh, the year was uh, 1984, and I voted for Daly over Richard Brizak for uh, state's attorney because Brizak was running such an anti-Harold Washington. And look, only I would remember this, and only I would feel compelled. Honesty compels me to confess this. I, I voted for the, the Green candidate. I'm not even sure there was a Green candidate for you. Probably was, voted for Daly. There was an alternative candidate. Was there? Okay. I, would, I, I wouldn't have voted for Brizak. Maybe I just left it. You could have left it blank. Left. Yeah. yeah, but no, I've never voted for a deal. Yeah, I voted for him in 84. All right, I'll leave you with this. This just was sent to me uh, by a friend of mine who is so such a diehard Brandon Johnson supporter. I'm not going to name his name. This guy is really rooting for Brandon Johnson. He's going door to door for him. Uh, and he sends me this poll, this latest poll, uh, come out, come out of Northwestern University, and here's the headline: uh, Northwestern University polls show Chicago mayoral runoff election at statistical tie. Vallis and Johnson are at 44 percent, and roughly 12 percent uh, is undecided. And here's what my friend, the Johnson supporter, wrote. New Northwestern University poll has Johnson tied with Vallis at 44. Each new poll has Johnson gaining while Vallis is stuck in low to mid-40s. It's all field now. So like I always say, wherever I, whoever I talk to last, that's where I go in predicting. Uh, so if it's good enough, yeah, my well, friend. He, he, the, the, uh, the momentum appears to be for Johnson. Yeah. But again, it's basically turnout. It's turnout going to make this decision. And Monroe, uh, I, I urge you to go walk down uh, the streets of Lincoln Park and ask your neighbors who they're voting for. Who's? Who's? I know who they're voting for. Violence has moved up north. You know, as long as it was in the black community, they didn't give a damn. But now they might get robbed, or they they may be burglarized or carjacked. Or something so suddenly they're concerned about it. Well, as I like to say, pretty much every Monroe Anderson segment, the views and opinions of Monroe Anderson do not necessarily reflect those of the Ben Jarowski show. So, Lincoln Park residents, send your complaints to Monroe or just go knock on his door. He lives in your neighborhood. All right. Thank you very much, Monroe. And uh, thank you, uh, Tiffany Walden. Uh, outstanding job. And of course, must thank 
producer Chris for doing an outstanding job as he always does. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. Don't forget, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. And find more from The Ben Jarofsky Show all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.